This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's The Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to remind you about our friends at Davis Vision, giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK Star your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call today 801-253-3080 davis vision we're going to talk to barry hecker longtime nba assistant coach coming up here momentarily and uh we wanted to to get barry on gordon uh, we'll ask him uh, of course nba questions but uh he knew elgin baylor and uh, elgin ba- passed a few days ago and uh, there's been many uh, great stories and things told about him over the past couple of days and we thought we'd get barry's thoughts yeah, Barry uh, worked closely with Elgin uh, when he was in L.A., I believe, with the Clippers. And so, yeah, that'll be that'll be terrific. I, I like it. When people uh, of a certain generation pass on, I love it when they're remembered because they should be remembered, you know. Yeah. What's that, what's that saying go? What, what, how, how's that uh, thing go when uh, somebody said uh, – when when uh, people pass away, they die twice. Once when they stop breathing, and t- the second time when when the last time someone says their name. Jeez, that's a depressing thought. Is that from a movie? What's that from? Yeah, I don't even know. It's a real downer. Well, not, not if not if you keep saying his name. That's that's a. <laughs> let's let's switch gears. Okay. Let's say Elgin's name. They do it to me every time, man. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, longtime NBA assistant coach. He's Barry Hecker with us here on the Big Show. Barry, what's going on, man? Just trying to make it through the day. You know what I mean? I tell people I'm standing and I'm breathing, so I'm good. (laughs) You know, that's what I say when people ask me about doing a show with Gordon. I say, oh, just trying to make it through the show, man. Just trying to get Gordon's on. Gordon's like a legend, a legend on that show. Right? Gordon is Gordon a legend. Forever. That's a, that's the truth. I I absolutely agree. Now, Barry, if yeah. I call you a legend, you know, all it means is that we're old, right? True, but yeah. but some are better legends than others. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that's what we leg- called. Uh, we used to call Elgin the legend among yeah, us when we were exactly. over the Clippers. He he was a legend, you know. Well, so. Let's talk about that a little bit, Barry, and we were glad you're able to come on and join us and give us a little perspective on a, a man that uh, the NBA world is, is sorrowful uh, for having lost. And just kind of start maybe with, with your reaction and uh, your thoughts when you heard the news. Well, you know, I worked with him for 16 years with the Clippers. And um, like one of the guys that, that worked there described him as a shining light among a lot of problems we had there, you know, with Donald Sterling and so forth. I mean, you know, I've been around a lot of NBA guys and, and, and people that have been in sports. And the thing that struck me most about Elgin was he, he never pushed himself on anybody. He was respectful. You know, he he liked people. Uh, he, he liked to help people. I think Jerry West made a comment that his first two years he treated him like a son. I mean, he's just a really good guy. And, uh, you know, 
you walk in a restaurant, oh, there's Elgin Baylor, you know, but he never, you know, he never took advantage of anything like that. He just, he was just a good person. And, uh, you know, I, I had such a, so many good times with him, even though we, you know, we never completely got done what we were trying to do there, but uh, just want to meet a better person, you know, and, and it's sad that, you know, he's gone, but he leaves, he leaves a lot of people, a lot of happiness just from playing and just being associated with them. Barry, for those of our listeners who are too young to have seen him play, uh, how would you describe him on the court? Oh man, he's beautiful. You know, he, you know how there's some players that play and there's some that are just so, you know, beautiful to watch. I mean, I grew up watching those double headers, NBA double headers, and uh, he'd come across the lane. And he had huge hands and. You know, he'd turn and hang in the air and, you know, knock down a shot. And, uh, you know, I just got off the phone with Adrian Dantley, and AD said I tried to pattern my, my game after Elgin, but I couldn't jump. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he said I couldn't get off the floor like that. And, uh, God, he's just, uh, you know, just one of those players that just just really pretty to watch. And, and he was smart. You know, he knew how to play. Um, it's a real interesting story is, you know, we spent a lot of time together, and, and, and I said, Elton, how'd you get out to Seattle? And he says, well, you know, he went to Spingarn High School in D.C., which, which was an inner high school that had a lot of really good uh, players, you know, at that time. And um, his buddy was a football player, and, and he got recruited by, you know, University of Idaho, and he and, and he hung out with his buddy, and the buddy says, "Well, why don't you come out there with me?" And that's how he ended up, you know, playing at Idaho. And the basketball coach saw him in the gym one day, and he says, "I think I better have this guy play basketball. Forget about football, you know." <laughs> and then the the word got out, and and he said a priest came down from uh, Seattle, and. You know, he wanted him to go to Seattle. And so Elgin said, I'm really happy. And, you know, he told me, he said, I'm really, was really happy in Idaho, you know. And uh, he said, well, I, I'll figure I'll ask for more than than the normal, you know. And, and uh, the guy says, well, what do you need? And he says, well, I want a car. I want some money and so forth. And and figuring that the guy would turn him, you know, turn it down. And he says, okay. And that's how he ended up in Seattle, you know. Mm-hmm. So he went to Seattle, and then, you know, they played in the finals, and then he got drafted one by uh, Minnesota, and then, you know, they went to L.A., and, you know, and the rest is his history as far as career. And uh, I talked to guys that played against him, and he says, man, unbelievably strong. Uh, and, you know, he averaged like, I don't know, 20 rebounds some seasons. And uh, he just, you know, he's just one of those special players, and, I always tell the kids, I mean, they don't even know who Adrian Daly is anymore around here, but I used to say to them, he's the first Jordan, or maybe the Jordan's the first Baylor. You know, you could say it that way, too. So uh, just you got to get video on him and watch him. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Barry Hecker is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Barry, I knew him more as an executive, obviously, being a little bit uh, a little bit younger. And we see so many athletes that try to transition into either being an executive or a coach. And, you know, obviously there are some that are very successful, but not all. You know, you think of maybe the Isaiah Thomases of the world. But um, tell me, what, what did he have that made him transition into being such a great executive as well? Well, 
one, he was a people guy, so you know, you really, you really like working for him. Like I love working for him because all I had to do was tell him what I was going to do, and no micromanaging. And and uh, you know, I'm Elgin, you know, I'm over in Charlotte tonight, Elgin. I'll give you a call and let you know what's up. So just keep me, you know, basically just keep him informed. Had a good eye for talent. Uh, you know, knew the league, but of course, the biggest problem was is that uh, you know. Donald Sterling didn't want to spend any money, and every time we got something going there, he seemed to screw it up because he didn't want to pay anybody. And I always felt that that Elgin never got his his just dues because you guys remember this team. We you know we came in here. We had Larry Brown as a coach. We had uh, we traded for Doc Rivers. We traded for Ronnie Harper. Um, we drafted Kenny Norman, we drafted Charlie Smith, and we drafted uh, uh, Danny Manning. Of course, we had a lot of high picks through the years. but uh, And then we had uh, uh, Boot Edwards that played at Detroit. We had Creighton, you know, the Haitian cra- crazy man, uh, Olden, was on that team. And Loy Vaught, who turned out to be a real nice pro, couldn't even get off the bench then. And, you know, we played the Jazz in a five-game series with Stockton and Malone. And... Uh, People probably think I'm crazy, but, you know, we played them to a standstill, really. I mean, we they won the first two. We won the next two down there in L.A. when they had the riots. We played over in Anaheim. And then I can remember this like it was yesterday. We were up 12, and Benoit hit a three, and the place exploded. You know, it just went crazy. But I felt after that game that we had had – we put a really nice team together that was actually younger than the Jazz – and all we had to do was tweak it a little bit, and and we had a chance to be really good. And the Jazz play, you know, uh, Chicago two years later, and uh, Sterling wouldn't sign Charlie Smith. And then it was the, the domino effect. Everybody just started leaving, you know, including Larry Brown. So, you know, it took us five years to put that team together because there was no free agency then. It was all trades or, or draft. And, uh that was real disappointing. You know, I really, I took that one hard, and Elgin took it hard, and yeah, it was just tough. You know, it was just the guy didn't really want to win; he wanted to make money. That's all he wanted to do. You know, so and hang out with everybody. Says, well, why didn't you right? leave? And you know, the trouble with NBA is, is in order to, to get another job, usually you got to have you got to be somewhere where you're successful. You know, and and uh, when you're not, you know, you got to feed your family, <laughs> so to speak. So that's how it works. So, Barry, uh, as a lifelong basketball guy, really, I'm curious to know what your observations are, what you're seeing with this uh, this year's Jazz team. Jazz team is good. Quinn, you know, I thought Quinn did a really good job last year or two years ago. I can't even remember anymore. But when they had all those injuries and he kept it together, uh, I thought he did a real good coaching job, and and obviously, uh, you know, Mitchell's gotten better, Gobert's gotten better, and to me, that's a sign of a, a good coach. Uh, and I think that that uh, Lindsey did a hell of a job putting players around those two so-called centerpieces. You know, Jerry Krause did a good job of that with Jordan, and a lot of people don't give him credit, but those those complimentary players and. I really like Carlson. You know, I, I, or, uh, is that his name? The point guard, Clarkson. Um, what's his last name? Jordan Clarkson. Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, the the point guard that can score. Yeah, Jordan. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I really like him because 
you know, he he's come off the bench and he can he can fill it up quick and you know, and they got a lot of good shooters. They you know, the league's turned into a three point league and and uh you know, they're good. They're really good. You know, and, and plus they the coach, you know. I'm kinda of down on, on, on basketball because of the three uh is so prevalent, but you gotta you gotta have somebody that can make the three. And a lot of times uh, the ball just, you know, passed up the court and the guy cranks one up and, and they're running the other way. And sometimes it looks like a playground ball to me. I, I like it when they're passing and cutting and moving and, and playing basketball the way I, I perceive it. You know, when when Elgin was playing in the, in the Celtics and so forth, you know, I grew up watching that kind of basketball and I, I really, you know, it's like a ballet out there, you know. So now it's very more athletic and, and uh you know, everybody wants to dunk, and I think when, when I first got in the league, it was kind of unwritten rule, don't let the guy dunk on you, and now it's like it looks like a bullfight. They just get out of the way a lot of times, you know. Ole, ole, you know, so uh, that's how I see it. So I could be wrong, but that, that's my perception of it. Barry, the Jazz are playing the Nets tonight, and uh, Jake and I have been talking about the, how great the Nets can be when they're when they're all their starters, all their players are available to them. Tonight is a little different, but this team is really gifted offensively, defensively not so much. Can you recall a team winning an NBA title without playing defense? No. You know, like I said this all along about Houston. You know. They put some really good players on their their teams, but they never defended anybody. And if you don't defend during the season, you just can't turn it on during the playoffs. And uh, you know the idea that you're out going to you're going to outscore them doesn't work all the time because you don't shoot it all the time. You know uh, those threes don't go down. You know consistently. Uh, I, I think they should move it deeper. Myself would be my opinion of it. But if you don't guard, you know, as a team, you know, everybody says, well, the guy's a great one-on-one defender. But the players are so good in the NBA, you got to have team defense and, and you got to have guys, you know, saying, you know, they got to score against us, not not just one guy. And, and uh, I don't see it. But, you know, obviously, like you said, they're talented. I mean, Durant, you know, we, we played Durant when he was in Oklahoma, and we just had nobody that could guard him. I mean, that's the worst matchup in the league, probably, because you got to have somebody his size. We could never stop him, and, and that was the problem. When I was in Memphis, he always ended up winning a game for him, basically. So, uh, you know, that's you got to have scores, but you also got to defend. And, and I think that Jazz, with Gobert, you know, guarding the basket like he does is a real advantage. Uh, and, you know, a lot of big centers are gone by the wayside now. It's all stretch fours and stretch fives. But, but I think that with him back there, it makes it easier to defend. Hayward was a better defender when Gobert was playing with him because he knew he had help. And, and uh, you know, when you, when you feel like that, you feel more aggressive. And, and if you get beat, at least you got somebody else that can help you out. Well, Barry, thank you very much for dropping by and sharing some wisdom and also uh, some memories of Elgin Baylor. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, I don't know about wisdom, but you know, yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you, 
a quick story. You know, Gene Shue was one of our 11 coaches, and I really liked Gene. I thought Gene was a good coach. And Elgin and him were, just, you know, on the court one day just talking. And I don't know how it got to the, the, that point, but all of a sudden uh, Gene said, I bet I can outshoot you, Elgin. And so they threw some money down on the floor. And this is how competitive Elgin was. And, and, he, and you know, he had, this was when he was in his 60s, I think. And he went out to the corner. He hit like seven in a row <laughs> without a warm-up. You know, and I went, damn, man, this is amazing to me, you know. And uh, he he was a good guy, and he was fun to be around, and I love his stories, man. He had a lot of stories in other tell. And uh, we'll miss him. We'll really miss him. Well, that's a here, great here. story. Yeah, absolutely. Barry, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. You bet. That's uh, Barry Hecker, longtime NBA assistant coach, and uh, thought some great perspective on uh, on the late Elgin Baylor and somebody who knew him well, obviously. And he uh, thought some good thoughts on the Jazz and the NBA overall. Oh yeah, I, I wish I wish I don't know. I don't know what I wish. Uh, Elgin Baylor was just fantastic to watch, and uh, guys like that. When when I hear Barry hesitate. I can I can just see the stories rolling through his mind, and I bet you there are a thousand stories to tell about Elgin Baylor. I don't know how many you can say on the air, but uh, those old Laker teams he was on, they were they were uh, there were some stories to tell there, Jake. And you know it was it was interesting when he was talking about him, uh, Elgin Baylor, as an executive, where he was with the Clippers for a, for a long long time, and Barry almost made it sound like you, you know that it. It didn't go well, and I guess at times it didn't, but I don't think anybody thought that was because of him. Uh, as he mentioned, it was because of Donald Sterling. But then, you know, you think back into the mid-2000s where uh, Donald Sterling loosened up a little bit. You know, I'm thinking the the uh, the Elton Brand years down there. The Wasn't Baron Davis part of a few of those teams? I mean, when he was uh, let to, to go do his gig, he was pretty good. Well, you heard Barry talk about the the talent that they collected down there. Yeah, but they couldn't hold on to right. it, right? Uh, because the that, owner that wouldn't pay. Yeah, it gets back, and, and that's why the owner of a team is so freaking important. You know, just to know what to spend money on, what not to spend money on, to be willing to do that when called upon, and to be smart enough to hire the right people or make sure that the right people are hired to make good decisions and then be willing to facilitate those things. That's that's really what it comes down to. Well, the funny thing about this particular situation is it took the NBA collective bargaining agreement in order to get Donald Sterling to do something because they actually implemented a salary floor because of that guy. If you remember, he was he was investing the bare minimum in his team, and he didn't care that nobody showed up because the gate was enough to cover it, and he scraped his profit off the top, and he was all good. And they actually had to negotiate it in, like, no, you have to spend this much. And now there's a salary floor that every team has to meet. They should call it the Donald Sterling rule because that's exactly what it is. Have I ever told you in Austin about the time that he invited me to go watch a game with him? Donald Sterling. I, I thought we were going to tell this story after it ended so badly for him. Well, I turned him down. I said, no, no oh. thanks. Why? He asked me, he had Donald Sterling, because I'd written something. We've heard this story a hundred times. Let's move on. And he uh, he invited me to dinner. He, he, he wanted to talk about what I'd written about, and uh, he invited me to dinner and then to his front row seat at the Clippers game. 
And I just, I wasn't in the mood. I said, no, Donald, no. But he was very much into the Hollywood crowd. He used to have those parties out at his house. And uh, he liked to be seen with the stars. So you and Donald did have something in common. You both liked to, you know, rub elbows with the rich and famous. <laughs> no, no, not like that. Yeah. I, I remember talking with Barry about what was going on when he was with the Clippers and how frustrating it would be to. And, and really, at some, at one point, the Clippers were the laughing stock of the NBA. And uh, it's not because guys like Barry Hecker didn't know basketball or Elgin. It's because, uh, like he said, they had a difficult situation with an owner. And then that owner made $3 billion or whatever it was and rode off into from, the sunset. From Steve Ballmer. Yeah. Was it, what was the price? Was it two or three? It was two. It, it was, was two. two. It was two, two plus. Yeah. Yeah. He speaks French in Russian. He once high-fived Gandhi after hitting a home run. He invented the taco salad with Juice Newton. He is Gordon Monson. The most interesting man in the world. Oh, that was incredible. I didn't even know that was coming. Was that our guy, Ben? That was Ben. That's oh, our Rudevin guy. man. I've had that for a couple weeks. Just Shout waiting. out to Ben. Just waiting for the right moment. Invented the taco salad with Juice <laughs> Newton. <laughs> Stay interesting, my friends. Oh, that just made my whole day. High five oh, Gandhi after hitting after a home run. run. He speaks French in Russian. In Russian. <laughs> he once high-fived Gandhi after hitting a home run. He invented the taco salad with Juice Newton. He is Gordon Monson, the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> oh, that is so good. The taco well, salad one's my favorite. <laughs> my favorite by far. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that. Ben Coombs, by the way. Ben Coombs. Find yeah, him on ben. Twitter, oh, at Beninator Coombs. He is, he's an incredible graphic artist and a really smart, funny guy. Hit that Twitter handle again. I talked over it. I think it, let me just, it's Beninator, yeah, at Beninator Coombs. Awesome. Shout out to Ben. Cal, I love our listeners. Just brilliant people that listen to the show. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Just brilliant. Invented the taco salad. Taco salad? With Juice Newton. With Juice Newton. (laughs) He invented the taco salad with Juice Newton. You know, Juice and I were sitting around. I thought, you know what? I remember the first time you had a beef taco. Let's make a salad out of it. It wasn't wasn't just a beef taco. It was the... uh, A shredded beef taco. Yeah, shredded beef taco. What if we crunched up the crunchy shell and added some more lettuce (laughs) and some dressing? I tell you, it's good, Jake. Give me a taco salad juice. Million dollar idea. (laughs) Gandhi's got soft hands. He once high-fived Gandhi after hitting a home run. See, the thing is there that Ben missed some opportunity. Like, there was no mention of Sly Stallone in there, you know. Uh, there was no mention of Wolfgang Puck. There was no mention of... Of, of Donald Mike. Sterling, for that matter. Yeah, Mercifully. There was no mention. There was no... <laughs> you know, no Juice, that's of, what I call an angel of the morning. Uh, <laughs> no you almost got dumped there. <laughs> <laughs> 
There was no way. I wasn't dumpable. Oh. I could go for a taco salad right nope. now. No mention of uh, he invented the dipped ice cream cone on Balboa Island. Nope. That's for the next commercial that Ben comes up with. He owned three homes in one home <laughs> in Southern California. No mention of my uh, my experience with Brad Pitt. No, no mention of he left a lot of things Your out experience there. Experience with Brad Pitt. Yeah, didn't I tell you about the time I met Brad? Are you on a first name basis with him? Well, I don't know him like that, but I did. I did. Uh, I was at a function and he was there, and I got a chance to talk with him. What function was this? It was, you know, it was a sports-related thing that I was involved with when I was in Los Angeles, and I had a chance to. To just chat with him, it lasted about a minute. Wouldn't that have been before he was famous? No. Uh, okay. Well, Isn't his only technical sports movie the the fly fishing boring thing? Yeah, which was his first <laughs> kind of. No, I guess Thelma and Louise was his first movie, but he was like an extra in that. But what sports thing with Brad? No, really? I had a I had a friend who was involved in in. Uh, show business i guess you could say and he invited me to a, a function where brad was he was young he was young at the time but he speaks french yeah. in yeah. russian right. he once high-fived gandhi after hitting a home run <laughs> he invented the taco salad with juice newton he is gordon monson the most interesting man in the world it needs a stay interesting, my friends. He's uh, he's pretty talented guy. Gordon, give us a stay interesting, my friends. <laughs> you want it right now? Yeah, yep. Stay interesting, my friends. <laughs> All right, we'll have more Big Show next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's The Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to get some... uh, uh, sound coming out of the NHL of all things coming up here uh, momentarily. But uh, quick, uh, we, we talked trades earlier in the day, Gordon, and just so you know, Victor Oladipo unavailable for the Rockets for Charlotte tonight for personal reasons. Uh-huh. And then uh, Woj adds, Rockets continue to be engaged on several fronts in trade talks for Victor Oladipo. So maybe a sign of something coming. The trade deadline is tomorrow at 1 o'clock our time. So I would expect some fireworks. I don't know how many, but I would guess I would guess Victor gets moved or bought out, one of the two, but I would yeah. suspect moved. But none involving the Jazz. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Gordon, this is coming from the NHL, and I, I did not see this live, obviously, but I want to make sure we, we set this up right. This is a, a TV broadcast of a, of a Nashville Predators game, and uh, they, they're going to break, and the ref gets hot, caught in a hot mic moment. It wasn't much, but I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville early in the... 
And then it goes to break. Cuts off right there. But you can hear him say, just wanted to get a penalty on Nashville early. Hmm. Now, this ref has been uh, since dismissed. And it will no longer be refing in NHL games. And uh, Austin, you were saying uh, off the air a little earlier, this is not uh, some newbie. This is somebody who's been around for a while. He has uh, been the head official in over 1,000 NHL games and and the head official in over 90 playoff games in the NHL. So the question becomes, did he want to get that penalty as a makeup or did he have a bias uh, against that team for something that had taken place or what, what, what was his purpose? None of, the, none of the answers are good, but you know, some are worse than others. I'm guessing they don't can him if it was a makeup call thing. I don't know. But, or, or is it a matter of public relations at this point? Maybe. I mean, they're, they're, they fired him right away, and their sentiment was pretty strong. They said, quote, no, uh, that uh, Peel is his last name, would, quote, no longer be working NHL games now or in the future, unquote. So not only did they boot him, but they slammed the door pretty good. All right. Well, that's... Uh... That you know, uh, on the one hand, um, it's sad. On the other hand, it's kind of revealing. So it, I, I like it when the truth comes out. But I, I want more information. I want to know what was behind it. Well, let's because say it that, was that a makeup is, that, call. That is important uh, to the, to the story, in my opinion. Let's say it was a makeup call, Gordon. Does that somehow sit better with you than if he had had a, a personal vendetta against the National Predators? Does that change it? What the what the motivation behind him wanting and looking for specifically to give Nashville a penalty? Does it matter the motivation, or is it just that's not the referee's job and therefore he's fired? Well, you bring up a great point. Uh, neither of those, like I said, answers is is really <laughs> very good. Uh, but it would bother me more if he had a vendetta. And why is that? Why would why would that because, bother you more? Because now he's biased, as opposed to trying to make up something that had taken place earlier, and he felt like he owed uh, something to the other team. Uh, that that that's not good, but it's it's better than carrying this personal uh, feeling against a team that he's going to penalize that team because of that. Are you, are you that, saying it, it could go more than one game if it were the personal vendetta thing, but if it's the makeup call, it is just one more bad call and yes. it's over? Yes. I, I, I think if you're carrying that kind of baggage with you, then you're carrying it with you for a long time. And that, and that really speaks to the integrity of the game because if you – how many times have you, have you heard people whisper – that that ref has something against us. Well, if he's got something against Nashville, then he shouldn't be referee in those games. If he's, if someone in the crew made a mistake and he felt like it was important to make up for that, that's not that's not ideal. But it's a whole lot better than having a ref who's going rogue on you. Justifiable bias, then. Uh. I'm not even sure if it's really justifiable, but it's it's better than than the alternative. I'd, but I'd, you know, the league isn't going to sit there. The National Hockey League isn't going to sit there and go, "Oh, okay, well, let's talk this through." And uh, you know, because they have they have that reputation to protect. It's a little bit like a fear of of gambling. 
uh, people participating in that because once that's out, uh, you've got a major problem on your hands. Well, once I'm just it's out that somebody has something against the team or could have something against the team in your league, you can't let them rough anymore. No, I'm just assuming you had a thousand bucks on the Red Wings. Uh, that that didn't sound like a gambling issue the way he said it. Although you never know. I think that you know? uh, the referees are are certainly humans, and I think there's a lot of bad ones, and maybe a good one if you looked hard enough. But I think they're bad enough. I think they're bad for a lot of reasons. Who was he speaking to when that was recorded? Don't know. I don't know if it were another ref, if it were the coach of the other team. If I don't know, I don't know. But I mean, it's it's like along the lines of the Pac-12, the head of officiating who put out a bounty for the first person to throw out Sean Miller. I mean, these people just have uh, a greater view of their self-importance than should be. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I hope that's not widespread. I'm not going to get pushed around in this game. I'm going to go get a penalty on the Predators early. I'm going to show them yeah. who they're messing with. Mm-hmm. Joke. Yeah. Referees. Well, And by the way, when I say referees, I'm not talking about your wonderful volunteers for like uh, Little League and such. I'm talking about uh, the people that uh, stabbed three people to get to the NBA <laughs> or NHL or whatever. You guys, you guys remember when that uh, Noah Syndergaard – uh, thing went viral with the the umpire uh, Tom Hallion. It was the Chase Utley had uh, gone really hard into second base illegally and ruined Miguel Tejada's knees yeah. and ended his career essentially. And the next night, the Mets first pitch of the game threw behind uh, a Dodgers batter to kind of and they threw out Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, and the the uh, the head coach or the manager of the Mets, Terry Collins came screaming out there was just losing his mind and Tom Hallion the crew chief got in front of him and said look we this is it we can't I understand the, that Major League Baseball did nothing to Chase Utley when he when they should have but you can't then go out here and brawl bash and throw a ball at someone's head you're gonna get thrown out of the game that's just how it goes I think that's what was happening here but in the wrong way I think the referees in this game were trying to police uh, this game between the Nashville's at the Red Wings, I can't, the Red yeah. Wings and the Predators, they were trying to make sure there weren't big uh, street rules going on by getting the Predators early on a penalty to say, okay, we're in charge here. But isn't that why they have fist fights? And, but that's, it's so different because, and, that's, and Gordon can answer to that in a moment, but if the referees are looking for something more, then they're going to bend the game unfairly rather than letting the game just happen and calling it as it goes. But that's why they do have fistfights, right? So Gordon? let me get this straight. It would have been better if the refs would have fist fought the Predators? No. But I like your explanation, Austin. I think uh, that, that rings true to me. <laughs> so if this Peel guy would have just decked out the, the defenseman for the Predators, that would have been a more effective way to do it? No, no. Because... When I when I when I said fighting in hockey was important, it was to protect the players from one another. Well, that's what the ref wanted to do to get a to get a call early to to police it. What if he would have just decked the guy? Yeah, but that's not that. It, it, there's a consequence to that, and then you you oftentimes will go to the penalty box and but for your fisticuffs, but. You can't, many, uh, allow, you can't allow players to use their stick as a weapon. 
And so, sometimes, sometimes referees miss those calls. It's different than any other sport. So, if they would have out, would outlaw fist fighting in the NHL, how many uh, stick related deaths do you think there'd be? Uh, I I think there would be no like well, five, no, six, hopefully no deaths, ten, but certainly. And what is an uh, acceptable would, number? Yeah, what is injured, an acceptable like two is fine, right? Players, you know, so. You have to have played the game to know it, I think. You know, because they have so much, so many issues at the Olympic level. You have to have played the game. I know. I How often that. have you been told that, Gordon, by some <laughs> prima donna athlete in right. your career? <laughs> hey, quick news from on the BYU front: transfer portal news. BYU guard Jesse Wade has entered the transfer portal as a grad transfer. Wasn't that the dude who got stuck in the elevator? Yeah, and has played at Gonzaga already. Then went on a mission. Then transferred to BYU and didn't play there. Now so where is he not going to go play next? He's leaving again. Well, if he goes ratchets down a little bit, he might go somewhere where he can actually play. And I don't have a problem with that. If he really wants to play. Should have left him in the sees, elevator. <laughs> he sees that he's not going to play at BYU. Let him go somewhere else. I, know. I think he's I've like been, 24 now. Though. Yeah, I've been telling you for years, Gordon, you can't cut it. Just don't try. It's true. You're right. And you are so judgy. I'm judgy. How am yes, I judgy? You because you you want these guys to have to be caged if they agree to go play somewhere, then they got to be stuck there. And you want until... them to be a title entitled to a spot and not earn it. You only you only get to go to college over one period of time generally. And if you're a basketball player and you're not seeing any time then why not go somewhere else and play? I've known too many guys who, not too many, but I've known a lot of players who have done that, and it's worked out nicely for them because they've ended up with a good experience. And really, I don't think that's being entitled. I think that's uh, that's America. Yeah, who needs to work hard to earn it? Just go find another spot. No, because no matter how hard he works, he might not get an opportunity. Now he'll never know. Well, uh, but he'll play. Maybe it was Maybe. all that time in the elevator. He had some time to think. Seriously. Decided this is well, you know, life has its ups and downs. <laughs> You're the one that said he wasn't strong enough to pry himself out of that elevator yesterday. Yeah, maybe if he spent him a little more time in the weight room, he would have played. <laughs> Wouldn't be stuck in an elevator. Nah. But that's hard. Prying open an elevator no, door? No, like putting time in in the weight room. <laughs> That's you are not. such a jerk sometimes, Jake. <laughs> really these guys, these guys are out there busting their humps, doing everything they can to get an opportunity, and they're not quite good enough to get the opportunity. Jake's so going go suck it up, else. Buttercup. And... Uh, just, or they didn't so, bust their it's hump. So, it's so judgy on your part. You're just assuming they did. Well, whether they did or they didn't, they uh, they're looking for a better opportunity for themselves, and I. Don't have a problem with that. I know it's fine. You do. No, I. I you know. You think he should be tarred do. and feathered? No, 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 no. There are many offenses that I I feel are worthy of a tarring and uh, feathering. This one, not so much. Multiple lane change without a blinker. <clears throat> okay, so under what circumstances do you, would it be acceptable to you to allow someone to transfer? If if somebody's signed somewhere and it's not a good situation for him, you think it's a, a sign of weakness to go somewhere else? Yeah, my answer would be never. And I, in fact, on top of that, I think they need to start signing the National Letter of Intents with blood. <laughs> Jeez, Jake. 
you know. We're gonna need you to prick you know, your finger. We would, <laughs> I would I, you know, what's the funniest thing about that is that you really mean that. Yes, that they should sign their national letter of intents in blood. Yes, I do mean that. I've never met anything Get more in my life. Get a number tattooed on their left wrist. <laughs> You're no longer Jesse Wade. You're player number 29643. Oh, in fact, unless it's a game or practice, I think they should be uh, chained to the radiator in their dorm room. <laughs> you know how you fix name and likeness? Don't let them use their own names. <laughs> This is what's is more that important, what Bron- that name on your what, chest or the name on the back? This is basketball that's, that's player what, number what, one. That's what Bronco wanted to do. You that's know, right. Wanted to remove their names. Hey, years. number three, play harder. <laughs> oh, the nuts. Then he goes. Then he goes on campus. And everyone calls him number three. Well, you don't like that. Well, uh, you just go ahead and transfer. It's okay. It's all right. Somebody will you know, be. Somebody will one be. One nice of these days. One of these days, one of these guys who you're calling soft and a coward, they're going to come in and they're going to punch you right in the nose. I doubt it. I hope so. You know, because it's a little bit you like hope so. Thinking. That's mean. Well, <laughs> oh, Boyan Bogdanovich drives up uh, to your <laughs> Mount Olympus home and socks you one right in the face. You called him garbage today. I did not call him garbage. I said he was playing like garbage. And, yeah. That's There's a big well, difference. Boy, there. I wouldn't answer my door for a little while if I were you. Well, well yeah, why don't you give out my street address while you're at it, Jake? I appreciate that. Stay tuned. <laughs> 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now, you're not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke's going to join us coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. But right now it is time for the Not Sports Board, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? We're going to a couple. We're going to Vermont, and we're going to the Suez Canal. And I uh, don't have much time here, but I do have two stories. But I'll blend them together. Did you hear about the container ship that was in the Suez Canal that uh, they they somehow got stuck in the canal? Yes, I did. did you hear about this? Uh huh. I mean, what? Who taught this guy to to pilot a ship? Just another reason why you'll never find me on a cruise. I mean, I guess the front end, the back end swung around and the front end jammed into the side of the canal. So it was wedged sideways. And then none of the ships in either direction could get through there. See, I, I, mean, I, I look at it a little differently. Like, you know how many ships go through that canal on a daily basis? I'm surprised it doesn't happen more. Well, I mean, aren't you supposed to be able to pilot your way through that? I mean, I, this isn't nearly as offensive as the, the cruise ship uh, captain that true. wanted to wave at his girlfriend <laughs> and ended up, like, running aground, and people died in that one. Yeah, they did? That was, yeah. That, yeah, that was bad. I remember that. Hey, that, that's that my girlfriend evil. on the shore. Oh, in Italy. Yeah, in Italy. In Italy. Yeah. Was it really his girlfriend, yes. or were they just waving at people? No, it was his girlfriend. Hey, honey, look at me. 
So I don't know, Gordon. But it, I, I actually am surprised that uh, that doesn't happen. Isn't more. the Panama Canal pretty self-propelled? This is the Suez. Suez. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But probably yeah. similar, yeah. But it's the Lux system, right? Where I'm not sure if just kind of pushes you into the next one, and you don't really have to do anything but keep it in the middle. I don't know if the Suez is a lock one. Huh. I'd have to check. That's, I, I know the Panama Canal is. A man, I a plan, they, a canal, Panama. They thought, uh, they yeah, because of different elevations, you got to go into the lock and then it fills up with water or, or, or the water goes down and the ship goes to a different level. So because obviously you're going over territory, terrain that uh, has changes in elevation. So it, it does it, not it, have locks, it says here. So the Suez doesn't. It does it just, not. You, you just, actually you have just, to pilot the boat. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what they were. I don't know if, whether they have special pilots that come in to guide the ships through, but uh, I think they said the wind kicked up and blew it sure. sideways. But uh, guy was last, playing Candy Crush on his phone. Last I che- <laughs> last I checked, they they were trying to find every tugboat in Egypt. To uh, to wedge it loose, and I don't know whether or to uh, shake it loose. That's or the next Tom loose. Clancy novel. Push every to, every towboat in Egypt. <laughs> okay, and the other one is this, and this is this has a little bit to do with sports. But uh, did you? I saw a story from Vermont. A driver of a golf cart was seriously injured when he crashed it. A guy by the name of Kevin Hill, who is forty eight years old, was driving the golf cart in reverse. And he lost control, and the cart flipped over. This is, uh, and and he he suffered uh, life-threatening injuries. I don't know what his latest condition is, but golf carts can be can be tricky, man. You know, they're nothing to mess around with. Have you ever been in a golf cart accident? Uh, define accident. Have you ever had an issue with a golf cart being driven the wrong way? I, that's the only way I drive my golf carts yeah, is the right. wrong way. I don't. Have I run a golf cart into something? You bet. Have I thrown somebody from a golf cart? One hundred percent. Have I run over my friend with a golf cart? Yes. Have you I did? myself been thrown out of a golf cart? Yes. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. What happened? Oh, I well, I started the day by going to the Seven Eleven to buy a twelve pack of beer, <laughs> and then I ended the day on the Seventeenth Fairway. <laughs> You put the pieces together. And none of us thought we were being scouted for the tour. Yeah. yeah. We were out there to goof off. You got thrown from the golf cart. I've I've tried to leap over ponds, like a launch off the golf cart over the the water hazard. I did do a rat patrol number in a golf cart once. I went up over. What is that? Do you know what the rat patrol was? Are they like the (laughs) A-team? It just dawned on me. That show was like 30 years before your time. I'm not that old. There there was a show about uh, the, the folks during World War II in Africa uh, that were, uh, they were in these Jeeps. Uh, 1968 was the last episode. <laughs> it, it, at, the, at the beginning, they came flying over. My dad uh, was 10 <laughs> when the show ended. All right, we're done. No, they had these guys in jeeps, and they were they flew over this ridge of sand, and they went flying through the air. And that's what I, I tried to do with a golf cart, and it wasn't good. One time we were coming down, me and a, a, a golfing buddy of mine, we were going down the fairway, and there was there was water in, in the fairway, 
and we started spinning around, and that was scary because uh, we were going pretty fast. Anyway, uh, so whatever you're driving, be careful out there. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to David Locke. Stay tuned. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.